if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. And we're underway on a Thursday. It's the 17th morning of the third month of Year of Our Lord 2022. And that, of course, makes this a celebrated holiday for many people. It is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Uh, Hopefully you have a nice day planned. Don't do anything dangerous. Please don't drink green beer and then try to drive your car, no matter what color it is. Please be safe and uh, respectful of, of people around you. Other than that, have a great time today. Um, we've got a lot of work to do today on our little holiday. Um, we're going to talk in an hour with Dr. Everett Piper as we do each and every uh, Thursday. Dr. Piper's got some thoughts on some very important issues uh, that uh, I know you're going to appreciate. He's quickly become one of our favorite not our, when I say our, uh, the listeners who talk to me say they really, really appreciate Dr. Piper. They want to know where I found him <laughs> and how I got Dr. Piper to be a regular guest from Oklahoma on a Cleveland radio show. And uh, it's just been uh, my blessing. Uh, he wrote his essay entitled uh, Not a Daycare, aimed at his students at Oklahoma, Oklahoma Wesleyan University a few years back. He turned that into a book. Uh, then he wrote a sequel, and uh, we've just been talking for a long time, and I really appreciate his insights into the world and the matters that uh, affect us most. So we'll have that coming up at um, uh, 1010. And at the top of hour number three, that's right, there is a third hour now. This is the first week we have had this. Uh, at the top of hour number three, we will talk with uh, gubernatorial candidate Jim Renacy, who's responding a little bit to more of the revelations and uh, the narratives, if you will, regarding you know this little uh, kind of one-on-one battle that's uh, that's going on between him and Joe Blystone, another gubernatorial candidate. Blystone continues to accuse Renacy in an attempt to take down the guy who's also trying to take down DeWine. It's a bizarre little scenario. I mean, Blystone says he believes that DeWine needs to go. Renacy says that, of course, DeWine needs to go. Blystone, rather than campaign against DeWine, is campaigning against Renacy. It's a bizarre thing, and he, and he won't let go of one issue. He thinks this is the one issue that's going to be uh, successful for him, and that is a vote um, that Renacy made in Congress uh, several years ago um, involving the Maloney Amendment, an amendment to a bill, and uh, he said that Jim Renacy voted in support of trans bathroom rights. And Jim Renese said, I did no such thing. I had him on. I had both of them on a couple of weeks back. 
But the war of words has continued, particularly from the Blystone campaign, because Renacci's talking about Ohio and the issues that matter and not talking about this uh, this weird interpretation of, of a vote, uh, a congressional vote from six years ago. Anyway, Jack Windsor at the Ohio uh, Press Network wrote a tremendous piece on this, very detailed. He read the congressional testimony, read the records, uh, listened to the conversations, asked both camps for their points of view and so forth, and uh, and he wrote uh, you know he wrote uh, the summary in the Ohio Press Network and posted it, I believe it was yesterday. And uh, now Jim Renacci wants to follow up on that, so he's coming on with us uh, at uh, 11.10 this morning. So Dr. Everett Piper and Jim Renacci will be our guests today. I've got a lot of feedback that I want to share with you and I want to follow up on from one of yesterday's guests. Uh, yesterday, we spoke with a Ukrainian fighter, a soldier in the Ukrainian military from uh, the battleground in Ukraine as the Russian invasion marches on. And as the battles rage, and as horrific, horrific war crimes are committed all around him, the conversation that I had with him uh, is getting a lot of response and getting a lot of um, uh, feedback, and I'm going to share some of that with you in just a few. And I'm going to let you hear it in case you missed some of those things as well, because it was uh, it's very important information that I think we all need to have uh, an understanding of. So before we get into that, and before we get into, again, the state of Ohio... <clears throat> being screwed over when it comes to its primary elections, once again by the Republicans. The Republicans. Republican Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, Maureen O'Connor, for the third time has rejected the Ohio districting maps drawn up by the districting committee. This is their job, is to draw the maps. And they did so constitutionally. They did so fairly. And Maureen O'Connor, for the third time, sided with the Democrats. It's it's very clear that she wants the court to write the... Oh, I almost forgot my other guest, because I just added him this morning when I realized all of this. Tom Zawistowski, We the People Convention. The Portage County Tea Party is going to be joining us to talk about this at 935. Apologies, Tom. I literally texted Tom about, I don't know, an hour ago and said, Hey, uh, did you see that she rejected the maps again? And I think we all believe that she is going to want to draw the maps herself. She's going to want the courts to do the job that is uh, that is not theirs. Constitutionally, this belongs to the uh, redistricting commission. So we're going to talk to Tom Z about that coming up as well. So three guests. My apologies. We have Tom Z. Then we're going to have uh, Dr. Everett Piper. Then we're going to have Jim Renacci. All this is a part of the program this morning, and I welcome you. Now, this is one of those times where we have three guests in a show, and even with the third hour of the broadcast, time is tight as far as getting in. This is where the website comes into your benefit. Alwayswrite.us. If you can't wait on hold and you don't think you're going to get on the air, all you have to do is go to alwayswrite.us. Very simple. Look for the sound off button on the right side of the page, click it, and record your message for the show. It'll come right digitally to my computer screen when you send it. And then I will be able to listen to it and play it back. Uh, that way you don't have to wait on hold. Wait on hold. So we ask you keep those uh, 30 seconds or less if possible. Uh, but go ahead and record your greeting or your question or your comment to me on the website. And that way it's easier to fit in between interviews when we do it that way. So before we get started with the news of the day, including the recap of yesterday's events uh, regarding uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, I would ask you as a patriot not arise. Face your flag if you have one. If you do not, that's all right. Imagine one. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a Brandon supporter, if you are a believer in destroying the fossil fuel industry 
in order to advance the green, uh, uh, green New Deal and green energy movement, thus destroying the American economy and forcing us into a globalism situation. If that's what you feel like, well, then I know you don't really want to make this pledge anyway. You go ahead and take a knee, Nate, next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so I want to dive into this. Um, Yesterday, the... uh President of Russia, uh, Vladimir uh, uh, Zelensky, spoke to the American Congress in a conference call, a video conference call, and he laid out the case, laid out his appeal, his plea for support. He's not asking the Americans to go fight the Russians. He's simply asking for some support so that they, the Ukrainians, can fight the Russians that have invaded their country, which is something that typically has been, uh, you know, a responsible uh, decision made by the American government in the past. It's not a war that we will fight, but will we provide weapons? Yes. Will will we provide uh, financial resources so that countries that are being victimized by America's enemies can fight back? Yes, we've done that. We provide aid all of the time to Israel. We provided it in, in, in a number of places. So yesterday he came to the United States Congress via this video conference and said, what we need is air support. We just need air support. We need planes. That's it. You don't have to fly them. Poland has offered them. Poland will give us MiGs that we need to patrol our airspace because we'll beat them on the ground. We just need the airspace patrol. We just ask you to provide Poland with the backfill so that we can do this and stop the war. Joe Biden listened to all of that, as did the Congress. Joe Biden said yesterday, we're giving them more money, but we're not giving them planes. We're not giving Poland planes to replace the MiGs. Zelensky appealed to the patriotism of the American people in his remarks, referencing both Pearl Harbor and September 11th. Remember Pearl Harbor. Terrible morning of December 7, 1941, when your sky was black from the planes attacking you. Just remember it. Remember September the 11th, a terrible day in 2001 when evil tried to turn your cities, independent territories in battlefields, when innocent people were attacked, attacked from air, yes. Just like no one else expected it, you could not stop it. Our country experienced the same every day. The, uh, that was not an accident. Um, that was intended intended to draw the comparison between the aerial assault that the United States faced on its two darkest days and what is going on every day in Ukraine. As he mentioned, the sky was black from the planes, the Russia or the uh, Japanese planes in Pearl Harbor, uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, and you were powerless to stop it. He he went on to talk about September eleventh, a terrible day in which our country was attacked by air in a different way, of course, but we were powerless to stop it. He said, "That's what you experienced in those horrible days. This is what we are experiencing every day. We're powerless to stop their air assault against our people." 
Give us the ability to do that. We're not asking you to fight. Yesterday, in my interview with Casper, the Ukrainian soldier that I was connected to through some back channels and some people to whom I am very, very grateful, uh, he gave the same message. He said, we can win on the ground. We, we can't stop them in the air, though. And, and, and if we can control the skies, this war will be over. Listen to what Casper told me in this exclusive interview yesterday. Our skies is our main, you see, liability. There are a lot of Russian planes, a lot of Russian rockets flying to our cities, destroying our schools, our hospitals, our homes. If we can control that, the war will not be a thing anymore. I think the main, the main what we need is some fighter planes and anti-air systems so we can protect our skies from our enemies. I think that's incredibly strong, powerful, and accurate. Um, He said, if we can control the skies over Ukraine, the war won't be a thing anymore, because we can beat them on the ground. I asked him how he was so confident, and he made it very clear. We're defending our country. They don't know what they're doing. I can tell you for sure we're growing stronger. I can tell you why. We are fighting for our land. They don't know what what they are fighting for. And we are fighting for our land. They will lie to all Russian military forces were lied to when they were going to attack us. You see? What were they told they there were doing? Many, what, what lies were they told uh, that they were doing? Uh, many of them complain that they are just conscripts, that they, they thought they were going to, to train. But I think it's all lies. There are many professional war fighters that were in Syria, that were in Donbass. So they now come in here and destroying our cities. They were prepared for this, but not too well. So we can manage this. They were prepared not too well. We can manage this, he said. And to support Casper's point from our conversation yesterday from Ukraine, live from Ukraine, um, reports are that 7,000 Russian troops have been killed since their invasion. You want a comparative? That's more than the number of American troops who were killed in Iraq and in Afghanistan over 20 years combined. Combined. The Russian troops are not capable of doing this on the ground against the 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 strong ukrainians who are fighting with everything that they have and every man woman and child who can fighting they can't do it as long as the air campaign can be stopped the drones the missiles the bombs and that's all that they're asking for and they're not even asking for us to do it he said if we can provide uh through you know again a partnership with poland get them the planes that they need to patrol their own airspace they'll do the work they they just need the, the 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 equipment he said because if we can do that we'll beat them on the ground the russians are not as fearsome as people would think they are what message would you like the american people to know from from the ground in ukraine well the enemy is not so scary as we, as we firstly thought there is nothing unbearable here so if we will stay together all the countries of the civilized war 
if we still to stand strong and stay together. They won't do anything to us. They won't harm us in any way. I got to tell you, that was an amazing conversation that I had. And I'll say amazing conversation rather than an amazing interview because I don't, I'm not taking credit for it. I'm just very honored and glad that someone trusted me with the contact to reach out to Casper in Ukraine. And the story he told is incredible. Uh, he said, they are not as scary as you would think. If you just provide us with some assistance in the air, however that, that, that has to happen, they cannot harm us and we will stop them. Why is it in our best interest to do that? <clears throat> well, part part one is because we're human beings. And yesterday we also got word of the Russians targeting a theater that had been converted into a shelter for families who were taking refuge from the invasion. The people went outside and in chalk wrote on the sidewalks, children, children, children to let them know there are children in here. These are not fighters. They bombed it anyway. They bombed it anyway. This is what's happening. This is what the Russians are doing. This isn't warfare. This is terrorism. And how do we respond to terrorism? I once thought we knew the answer to that question. Right now, maybe maybe I don't know if we do. Let me get a quick time out. It's 923. Right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Always right with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. So I wanted to bring all of that up and give you a little bit of that audio from both Zelensky yesterday to Congress and then also from Casper live on this program exclusively to kind of compare it to the controversy that is kind of roiling right now um, over Tucker Carlson. Now, a lot of times I'll play clips from Tucker Carlson on the show. Uh, he's the number one rated um, uh, news uh, host in all of cable news. His show is enormous. Uh, it blows away the competition. And generally speaking, usually I like pretty much almost everything I hear from him and his guests. But sometimes I have to scratch my head. You heard the audio that I displayed to you from Zelensky and from Casper. Now, here's Tucker Carlson's take on what we should do vis-a-vis Ukraine. And you're moved by the suffering in Ukraine. Every American is. Americans are kind people. They want to help. Civilians in Ukraine are being crushed by Vladimir Putin. That's true. How can we help? Well, why don't we send more weapons to Ukraine in the middle of a war? Doesn't sound like a bad idea. But if you're going to make that decision, you'd probably feel some kind of moral obligation to consider the ramifications. Like, what effect will this actually have? Is it possible that doing this, as well-intentioned as it is, and it is, is it possible doing this will be counterproductive? Will it hurt the people I'm hoping to help? Will it, for example, prolong the fighting in Ukraine at the expense of the vulnerable civilian population in Ukraine? If I do this, could I inadvertently be doing to Ukraine what the West inadvertently did to, let's say, Iraq and Syria and Libya and Afghanistan? You wouldn't want that. You'd hate to do something like that again because that would be cruel. So you'd want to make sure you weren't doing that. But not a single person in Washington, at least in public, appears to be asking that question. No one's allowed to ask that question. What are you, a Putin defender? No, I do not believe Tucker Carlson is a Putin defender, nor is he a Russian asset, nor is he a tool of the the Kremlin and propagandist at all. But I have to say, I scratch my head and I wonder what he's talking about when he said, why would we arm these innocent victims 
against the aggressors, wouldn't that prolong their suffering and make their vulnerable population uh, put them into even more jeopardy? I'm failing to understand that. Why would you give weapons to a country that's being invaded by another country in the middle of a war? When all that's going to do is prolong the war and have and be counterproductive and hurt more of the innocent civilians in Ukraine. I'm failing to understand that. Is he suggesting that the Ukrainians should put their weapons down, the ones that they do have, and allow the Russians to come in and just steamroll their country and take it over? Because if they put it down, it would hasten their defeat. It would be faster. And therefore, I guess that the argument goes, it would be better for the civilian population? The Russians just bombed a theater filled with families huddling and hiding, seeking refuge from the terror. They bombed a theater filled with women and children. How much worse can it get? How much worse can it get for the Ukrainian civilians? So I'm having a hard time understanding this. I am not, as Tucker seems to be, an isolationist. We can't just say, well, it's not our problem. Let's deal with what we have going on here inside of our own borders. Number one, we're not dealing with those things. But number two, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can deal with problems here at home if we had effective leadership and provide some support. Nobody's saying go to war with Russia, but provide some support through a third party, and that would be Poland, for Ukraine to be able to fight their own battle. I'm really struggling to understand the logic behind, oh, don't give them weapons. That just prolongs the war, and it makes for more dead Ukrainians. I, I'm failing to see Tucker's reasoning there. We can talk about this together, 216-901-0945. Or, as I said, uh, we're going to be tight on phone calls today, but I can play your recordings if you record your message for me. In response to the question or a comment of your own, whatever it is, go to alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. And uh, leave your comment in the sound off or on the uh, sound off button. We'll take a time out for news now. Talk to Tom Z on the other side. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. question is, who's going to enlighten the Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice? Who's going to enlighten her as to her responsibilities and her constitutional obligations? And who's going to enlighten her as to who is really supposed to draw the district lines in the state of Ohio? Maureen O'Connor, a liberal masquerading in a GOP Chief Justice robe, has just guaranteed... A constitutional crisis in the state of Ohio. We're not going to be voting in a primary on May 3rd. This is going to upset so many campaigns. For crying out loud, congressional candidates have no idea where to campaign. They don't know where what counties to go to. They don't know where they can, can reasonably expect to be. They've been moved around all over the place. It's such an absolute mess. 
If you did not hear the news, Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, a Republican, sided with the Democrats for the third time in rejecting the uh, newly redrawn map. Um, according to the minority uh, in the uh, on the court, Justices Sharon Kennedy and Pat DeWine, quote, the majority decrees electoral chaos. It issues an order but all but guaranteed to disrupt an impending election and bring Ohio to the brink of a constitutional crisis. The majority's decree today is an exercise of raw political power. Nothing less, nothing more. And I completely concur. Let's see what Tom Zawistowski has to say about that. Tom Z is the uh, president of the We the People Convention. Uh, he is also the president of the uh, Portage County Tea Party. Tom Z, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Well, good morning, Bob. And first of all, let me uh, wish you and all your listeners a happy St. Patrick's Day. Despite having a last name of Zawistowski, I'm actually one quarter Irish. My mom's name is Shirley. My sisters are Patty and Colleen. And I'm wearing my green today. And I just urge everyone in this in this whole you know world of lies and, and things that upset you to take advantage of the good weather we're having. God, God bless us with and the and the fact that we don't have to wear masks, Bob. We can be out and be happy and be with our friends. And I urge everyone to. Take advantage of the opportunity and celebrate St. Patrick's Day today. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Tour Laura Laura, and I agree. Just everybody make sure whatever you do today, do it safely. Have a great yep. time and do it safely. All yep. right, Tom. Yep. Uh, so so yeah. uh, that's that's the good news is we have a holiday, and, uh, and it's an enjoyable one. No question about that. The bad news is look at where we are. Tom, uh, we're about to have our second consecutive primary moved off of its original date. Yeah. It's, this is this is horrible, Bob. And, and let's let's start with with some facts. Okay, uh, it, it is a fact that uh, every you know ten years you get to redistrict, uh, and particularly in our case where we lost a congressional seat, so you have no choice. You can't go back to the old maps. Number two, the Ohio Constitution says explicitly that the legislature is the only body that can control the redistricting. Okay. Number three, it says specifically in the Ohio Constitution, which it doesn't in a lot of states like Pennsylvania, that the Supreme Court does not have the authority to draw those maps. And number four, it is a fact that the Supreme Court has ruled that gerrymandering is legal and that generally speaking, you, you work very hard to win the legislature in your state on the years that redistricting will take place so that you can draw the maps. Number five, the Supreme Court said that you needed to draw 54-46. In other words, maps that reflected 54% uh, favorability to Republicans and 46% to Democrats. The, the commission gave maps that did exactly that. And Maureen O'Connor and the Democrats said, no, that's not good enough. Because they're not interested in fairness, Bob. They're not interested in, in, in having maps that, you know, that reflect the voters in Ohio. They're interested in what Eric Holder is selling and Barack Obama have been selling, which is this suit of blue strategy, which is intended to create chaos. And boy, have they created chaos across the country, and they're creating chaos here. And we, the citizens and the voters, are the ones who are losing from this. I described uh, Maureen O'Connor as just a liberal in a GOP robe, because um, uh, I can't think of anything else. Unless, unless she's truly a Republican, as she you know registers as and as was elected as, uh, fine. 
um, then, then, then what do the Democrats have on her? How can she so consistently side with the Democrats on that, uh, in the Supreme Court, uh, and, and as you point out, deny the voters of the state of Ohio their right to choose who draws their maps by the, 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 uh, uh legislature that they elected? Yeah, she's about as Republican as John Kasich and Mike DeWine, okay? I mean, let's just get that straight. And, and, and a curse on the Republicans, quote-unquote, the Republican Party who sold her to us and asked us as Republican voters to elect her because she was, quote-unquote, a Republican. They're responsible for this. But what we have here, Bob, is a, a total failure of the, of the ruling class in Ohio, in the legislature, and in the courts, to take into consideration and to act in favor of the citizens and the voters of Ohio. Instead, they insist on playing political games with our state and our, and our, and our electoral process, the most important thing we have. They're, they're doing this for political reasons only, not practical reasons. And, and Bob, I'm just telling you, this is a, such a disadvantage for anyone who wants to challenge because the challengers have much less money. And so take the Senate race. If this thing gets moved back to August, which I think it will, and, and God forbid these people were trying to talk about a split, you know, two different primaries. That's the last thing we need. We, it's going to cost $20 million to do that. And people don't understand. It takes like 10,000 or more workers to put on an Ohio election. Those are volunteers. Well, they get paid an hourly wage. But these are citizens like you and I, your listeners, who work the, the polls and, and put these things on. If you have a split primary, you've got to do that twice. What a burden on us. And then the incumbents have the advantage. Not to mention the financial burden. Not to mention oh. the financial burden. It's, to, to do a split primary, uh, I, I read somewhere it's going to cost around $25 million Ohio taxpayer yes. dollars to do that. Yes. Why? Because of their incompetence? You and I should be responsible for paying $20 million because the Ohio legislature doesn't have the balls, excuse my language, to do their job. They, under this, this constitution, they could vote with a supermajority, say these are the maps and those are the maps. And they won't do it because Cup, the House Speaker, has a conflict of interest. Bob? He served on the court with these some of these people. He should recuse himself and let the speaker pro tem take over and hold the vote. And and I think you've heard and I've heard that there's actually representatives who've had uh, you know uh, impeachment papers drawn up to impeach Maureen O'Connor because she has overstepped her bounds, and yet the speaker won't let that come forward because he has a conflict of interest. It's disgusting. Well, we have uh, railed long and and uh, passionately about the uh, incompetence, if not outright corruption, of the ORP leadership, of the leadership of the legislature in both sides, on the Senate side as well, and not just the current Senate president Huffman either. But but going back to Larry Aboff, I I I don't understand. I, I've said this before. I don't understand how this this state can be as consistently conservative and well, let me rephrase, consistently Republican as it is, and yet have no one in positions of leadership know how to act on that power that they've been given on behalf well, of the constituents. We are not a Bob, purple state. We have been a red state if they would just yep. govern like like Republicans. And the answer is as like Jack Jack Windsor has described when he's been on your program, as you have outlined in talking to the people who are running for state center committee. The answer is it's rigged. 
It's rigged from top to bottom. There is no free election. Even Again, the state central committee, the Ohio Republican Party, endorsing in the, in the primaries is a perfect example of the corruption. How's a Jim Renacci supposed to compete with Mike DeWine when the party endorses DeWine and is going to spend millions of dollars sending out slate cards to Republican primary voters saying the Republican Party says vote for Mike DeWine? How do you overcome that? Well, not, not only that, Tom, not only that, but we talked about this before, and Shannon Burns, who's on that Central Committee, and I talked about this too, um, they started giving him millions of dollars uh, in, in uh, campaign contributions in January before they voted on February 18th to actually endorse him. So they were treating him as if he was the endorsed candidate, uh, Mike DeWine, because he's the incumbent, and funding him from the beginning, even before the official endorsement. Forget about well, Bob. In my opinion, I've said this before, many people will remember that I ran to be chairman of the Republican Party like 10 years ago, not because I thought I could win, because I wanted to prove how rigged it was, that you couldn't really run for it because it was all rigged. I said then the Republican Party isn't a political party. It's a money laundering machine. People put money into it and it goes out. And just like we're finding out with this lawsuit that $3 million is missing, no one knows where it went. Surprise. Where did it go? Who gave it? It's a money laundering operation. There isn't a political party. A political party would have representation with, of the people who are party of the party, right? You're, you're, you look at how they mistreat the local county uh, you know, Republican parties. They don't give them any say in anything. They treat them like red-haired stepchildren. There's no party, folks. Forget about it. It's rigged. That's why you have Maureen O'Connor. Now, what can we do, right? Getting on here and just complaining isn't good enough. We're better than that. So what do we have to do? Well, first of all, we have to use this to, to get our people upset enough to turn out and vote. See, guess what? Why do school boards have these uh, primary, their elections in these special elections in August? Because people are on vacation. They're not paying attention. And they can turn out just their teachers and parents and pass the school fee. That's been the dirty little secret for decades, right? And I think we just passed a law to change that so they can't do it. So guess what? They're going to try to move this to August. Well, guess what we got to do? We got to turn out in droves. We've got to unelect all these people in the legislature who are rhinos. And, and we need to make a statement that you can play games with our electoral process. But when it comes down to it, we're going to work the polls, we're going to count the votes, not you, and we're going to kick your ass. That's what you got to do. There's no excuses. We're fighting for our country, our liberty, and our right to vote. And if they're going to play these political games, we have to react and, and focus our resources and, and still win the day. Tom, um I, I share the, the passion and I share the idea and everything else, but um, it's not enough. Um, I, what pressure can be brought to bear against uh, the Speaker, Bob Cup in order to get him to recuse himself, as you say, uh, and, and get him out of there so that the movement to impeach Maureen O'Connor can move forward? Well, excuse, we certainly ask people to call their representatives, to call Cup's office, to demand that they you know, do their constitutional duty. Um, you know, I, I just don't know that I can believe that that's going to have any, you know, any effect because 
we've been trying that for weeks. Chris Long, as you know from the Ohio Christian Alliance, has been really carrying the ball on this, talking to legislators, yeah, trying to you know trying to you know convince them to, that that this is you know really important, and it is really important. But they're cowards. They're just cowards, Bob. And and so yes, call your legislature, you know, because even though you say they don't listen to me, you've got to keep the pressure on. But at that, if they don't act, we're going to be going through this nonsense for months because what is the goal of the left? To create chaos. Chaos in our families, chaos in our institutions, chaos in our government. They're not trying to find solutions. They're trying to make it so crazy that you can't find solutions. That's what the suitable holder strategy. If you go to wethepeopleconvention.org, and there's a, a little eyeglass search thing. Click on that and just type in holder. And you can read about this suit of blue plan that they are winning all over the country. And people say to me, well, why don't the Republicans do this in blue states? Because the left is doing it in red states. And the answer is because the courts in those blue states are totally partisan, like in Pennsylvania. Folks, in Pennsylvania... The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania literally drew the maps that are favorable to Democrats after the legislature passed fair maps, or at least you know, maps that, that you know, were better than what the Democrats had done before, because in the Pennsylvania Constitution, they don't have something that says the court can't draw the maps. So they sued, and the legislature, which the U.S. Constitution says is the people that control the, the election, in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court literally drew the maps in favor of Democrats. That's the situation we're in. Yeah, Go read yeah. that article at wethepeopleconvention.org. Click on the search thing and type in Holder, and you can read all about it. Great advice indeed. Tom Z, I appreciate your... Uh, you're right, Chris, Chris Long has really been kind of running with this more than anybody else, but uh, you bring uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of force and a lot of passion to the, uh, to the conversation as well. And I want to second what you just said. We have to put pressure on them to let them know uh, we're going to primary them out if they keep this up. Talking about people like Cup and talking about anybody else in the uh, Ohio House who supports this uh, and, and is not moving to, to, as you say, just adopt the map as is and let's run with it let's not delay uh uh, the primary let's not let the court draw these maps that's not how it's supposed to be it'll be settled in court after the fact but this is too important in this midterm cycle for us to put the wrong candidates on ballots in november because we couldn't get our crap together here uh you know during the primary season it's too let me give you a little teaser okay for your listeners that i'm working on so I, I, I contacted the James Madison Institute in Florida and asked them to give me a list of the legislation passed by the Republican House and Senate in Florida in the last two years so I can compare it to the legislation passed in Ohio right. where we have the biggest supermajorities, quote-unquote, of Republicans in the history of our state. It's unbelievably embarrassing. And I'm going to go forward and say... Outside of this handful of people who I will name, who have been conservative and we should support, you need to vote for anyone but an incumbent in the primary. Anyone but the incumbent. Are you going to post? Are you, are you going to post what you found from Florida? Now you bet. You I bet. can't wait to see. It. Like a, I can't wait to see. You're going to be shocked. You're this is a do nothing Republican. Away. Yeah, it's a do nothing Republican legislature, and it's uh, right. and it's embarrassing. Tom, and they, I, and no one holds them accountable, so we're gonna. 
Tom Zawasowski with the People Convention, Portage County Tea Party. Tommy, thank you. Thanks, Bob. All right, 9.54, I'll be back. You know, Tom Z talked about chaos and that kind of being the goal of uh, of the Democrats and, you know, holders, uh, Sue to Blue, um, you know, philosophy and strategy. It's not inaccurate. The other thing that Maureen O'Connor ordered with this um, decision yesterday when she sided with the Democrats uh, against the maps, she said, quote, it is further ordered that to promote transparency and increase public trust, the drafting shall occur in public, and the commissioners should in, uh, convene frequent meetings to demonstrate their bipartisan efforts to reach a constitutional plan within the time set by this court. End quote. She wants the district lines to be held in public meetings? The bis- district lines to be drawn, rather, uh, in, in front of uh, public audiences? Are, are you kidding me? You talk about chaos, and those rooms will explode. And moreover, it is absolutely 100% unjustified. It's unnecessary. The, the maps that have been, all three versions of the maps that were drawn by the redistricting commission, that's how it's supposed to be. All three of them met the constitutional muster needed to be approved. For the court to intervene and say, nope, we're throwing out the commission's vote. We're throwing out the commission's drawing and their own vote. And we're substituting our judgment for theirs. It's unprecedented to do it once, to do it twice, and now to do it three times. This is a... What Tom just said is so true. It's, it's the strongest Republican supermajority in the history of this state. 61 to 38 advantage in the House. 25 to 8 advantage in the Senate, and they can't get anything done. Even though it's it's such a strong Republican state, Maureen O'Connor wants to hand 50% of the power to the Democrats. And that's not how it's supposed to be. I'll accept that to some degree. The minute New York and California take their massive liberal Democrat majorities and give 50% of the power to redraw the districts in those states to the Republicans. That'll never happen. Why does it happen here in the other direction? Why is Ohio the worst state in America to be led by Republicans? That's a strong statement. And until somebody can present one to me with evidence that is worse I'll stand by it. The state of Ohio is the worst state in America to be led by Republicans. That doesn't mean it's the worst state in America, obviously. But when it comes to Republican leadership, there is no state that is worse than the state of Ohio. Absolutely corrupt, feckless, pathetic, weak, cowardly leadership. In both chambers of the General Assembly, and certainly in the ORP and the State Central Committee, that gets them elected. It's one great big swamp of corrupt crap. 
the Ohio Republican Party, the Ohio Republican-led General Assembly, you're useless. You're going to cost this state. You're going you're gonna to turn on the constituents that gave you your power. And ultimately, it's going to cost this country. When we can't even give our, get our crap together enough to get the right candidates nominated by way of the primaries to defeat the Democrats and take back the, the United States Congress in November. That's how serious this is. Maureen O'Connor and every power broker that put you where you are, Bob Cup, Matt Huffman, every single Democrat, or excuse me, every single Republican. Why would I change myself? Why correct myself? If you're going to govern like Democrats, we might as well call you Democrats. You're pathetic and you're weak and you're hurting this state and this country. I've got more for you later. Dr. Every Piper joins me after this on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. With Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two is underway now at eight minutes past ten o'clock on a Thursday, the 17th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2022. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to Tom Zawistowski for breaking down the district situation with us. Uh, coming up in about an hour at the top of hour number three as we move into our third hour. Very happy about that this week. Uh, Jim Renacy, candidate for Ohio governor, will be joining us. He's going to talk a little bit more about the controversy surrounding bills from six years ago in Congress and uh, more about the race. So all of that coming up right now. I want to say good morning to our regular Thursday commentator, uh, one of our very favorite people to talk to, Dr. Everett Piper. He is a best-selling author. He is also a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He's now a podcast radio host in his native Oklahoma. His podcast is called The Rebellion. Highly recommend it. He is also a candidate for county commissioner in his county in Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, thanks for making the time and that busy schedule to talk to us once again. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, Bob, if you don't mind, I'd like to play off of your monologue at the top end of the last segment. Um, I'd like to respond to what you said when you said that Ohio has got to be the worst, quote-unquote, Republican-led state in the nation. I'm not going to dispute the facts with regard to Ohio, but I will say this. Oklahoma isn't far behind you, and I would put us neck and neck in that race. We've got a mess on our hands right now, and the mess is coming from people who are lying to the citizens about being a Republican. Just because somebody puts an R next to their name in a primary means absolutely nothing. I know for a fact that many of these people who claim to be Republican, and they know what that implies, they know that when they put an R next to their name that the voters think they're conservative. They know that the voters believe that that R implies that they're pro-life and anti-abortion, that they're pro-traditional marriage, and that they stand against the lunacy of dumbing down women 
to nothing but a fabrication or a fantasy. They know that when they put an R next to their name, that the voters assume that they would stand against the degradation of children and the stealing of their innocence. They know that the Republican primary voters think they're getting a conservative when they vote for that R. They're lying to you. Many of these people are no more conservative than my dog. And that is a fact in Ohio as well as Oklahoma. Are you saying you have a liberal dog? <laughs> Dogs like getting <laughs> taken care of. Dogs don't fend <laughs> for themselves and make their own way. Dogs get fed by their owners. They get their every wish. They're pampered. They're taken care of. And I've said before, you know, I was stupid enough when I retired from the presidency of Oklahoma Wesleyan University to go out and buy a couple horses. Well, I quickly learned that my horses are Democrats because they eat cash and they produce boatloads of crap every day. So, yeah, I'm saying that your animals are Democrats. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Uh, Dr. Piper, listen, um, uh, I'd like to respond to some of what you said. And by the way, you were on my mind a little bit when I was going through that impromptu rant, uh, because I know you've talked about Oklahoma before. Um, uh, and again, I want to, I know you're proud of your state and you love your state. I'm proud of the state of Ohio and I love my state too. I'm just disgusted by its leadership. It could be so much better if Republicans would govern like Republicans and not like Democrats. And that's kind of the point. Um, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit now while I ask you to hang up and reconnect with us. We have an unacceptable amount of static with our call right now that we normally don't have when we talk with you. So I'm going to ask you, Dr. Piper, to reconnect with our uh, our crew, talk to Johnny or uh, and or uh, Marcy, and we'll come back on here when we get you back up. Uh, Dr. Piper normally has a very clear connection. Not sure exactly why there's so much static in this particular call, but we'll try to fix that. Um, he's right, by the way. He has spoken to me on numerous occasions on Thursdays about Oklahoma, <clears throat> And about how, uh, you know, it's like the only state that not a single county voted for uh, Democrats in, in recent elections. Like, literally every county in the state is red. And yet, so much of the leadership there governs, like I said, about Ohio, as if they were blue. Gov- governing as if as if somehow some way there isn't a super majority of conservative voters in that state and thus representing remember a constitutional republic a representative republic works that way we send representatives to our legislatures to do our bidding to represent us and our ideology and our viewpoint and our constitutionality and so forth so if you send as a massively red state in Ohio or in Oklahoma a whole bunch of you know, Republicans to represent you, and they go there and represent the interests of Democrats, um, then the entire system is broken. And I know that Dr. Piper feels that way about Oklahoma. We've had that conversation before, and uh, obviously we're starting to experience that right now, uh, or have been for some time in the state of Ohio. Dr. Piper is back, I am told. Hopefully we have a better connection now. Doctor, are you okay? I am. Hopefully this is better. Sorry about that. It certainly is. Yep. Not sure why. Normally we have a great connection with you. This one just kind of came out of left field. Okay. Let's dive into some of the other topics on the table today. You wrote a great piece for the Washington Times objecting to the Florida parental rights and education bill is insane. This, this entire thing is insane right from its title, uh, or not the title, but what the, the left has branded this common sense piece of legislation that you wrote about that has been getting a lot of play in conservative circles. Obviously, even more play in liberal circles where they call the uh, legislation that essentially says that we're not going to be teaching sex to our kids, sex or sexuality or sexual orientation or anything else 
in the ages or in the grades rather of K through three. I mean, how this is even remotely controversial, I don't know, but I know what they've called it. They've called it an attack on LGBTQ rights, and they've dubbed it the don't say gay bill. Don't tell kids about gayness, because that's going to be a, a, a terrible thing. Dr. Piper, you wrote a great piece about it. I'll ask you to summarize. Well, I think the summary to responding to this particular story is tell people to read the bill. Just say, go read the bill. And then after you read it, you tell me what you object to. The bill does not say, don't say gay. In fact, the word gay is not in the bill. What the bill says... That's because you're not allowed to say it. Pardon me? (laughs) I was tongue-in-cheek. I said, that's because you're not allowed to say it. That's the reason the word gay isn't in the bill. That's their point. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, All right. What the bill does say is that teachers, school systems, school superintendents, principals, Professional educators should not be bringing sexual indoctrination into the kindergartner through third grade classes. That's five to eight years of age. They're saying that parents should be informed if their kid is asking questions that could compromise their physical health or their mental well-being. The parents should be notified. They're saying that parents should have access to their students' records. That's all it says is that parents have the right to be parents, and that if anybody's going to talk to their child about sexuality, especially at that young age, it should be the parents and no one else. And that the school should not be bringing their sexual indoctrination, their propaganda, and push sexuality upon a kid who's five years old or eight years old. Now, who in their right mind would disagree with this? What five-year-old or eight-year-old that you know wants to talk about this stuff? Why in the world are we being called extremists for protecting the innocence of children? We're protecting the dignity of women. We're saying that women are real and that men should not steal their showers, their bathrooms, and their sports. We're protecting the dignity of children, the very innocence of children, and suggesting that adults shouldn't bring their conversations, their, their adult-level conversations and debates into the kindergarten and the third grade classroom, and you're the extremist, and I'm the extremist, and we're being called this by Republicans? You know when Bill Maher agrees with Bob Franz and Everett Piper that we're on to something right now. Even Bill Maher in his monologue said that this bill, excuse me, the opposition to this parental rights bill, which is what it's defined because that's what it is, the opposition to this bill is insane. It's crazy. Even Bill Maher acknowledges that. Well, you're exactly right, and um, that's why I featured it. It's actually the featured quote on my webpage right now, alwaysright.us. I have Bill Maher. They're talking about kindergarten to third grade. So we're talking about very young kids who, you know, as always with this stuff, you know, it's, I'm quoting him, it's not like there's no kernel of truth in that maybe kids that young shouldn't be thinking about sex at all. And 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 that, Dr. Piper, is the, the, the biggest um, and the most obvious and glaring uh, example of their agenda here when they call it the don't say gay bill they're not saying teach kids k through three about heterosexual sex only they're saying their children k through eight their ages five through or excuse me k through three in grades and their ages five through eight in age they don't need to be being taught about sex at all it's not like they're promoting heterosexual sex to these kids and denying the idea of gayness this is don't gay, say gay nonsense but no child needs to be taught in a school about sex in kindergarten through third grade. Well, and stop and think about the, the implicit argument of the left. 
In fact, I think it was Kerry Washington or some movie star that came out and said, well, children have the right to be who they want to be. This is terrible. This is child abuse to pass this bill. Excuse me? When my boy was five years old, he might have thought he was Barney. Am I going to enable him to go get his skin dyed blue permanently and have tattoos across his entire body that makes him look like a purple dinosaur? Well, of course not. That would be child abuse. How about if your daughter thinks she's the little mermaid when she's five years old and she wants to pretend, she wants to make believe that she's the little mermaid? Are you going to enable her to have her legs surgically removed and have a fake tail attached to her body? I mean, this is how asinine their argument is. They're going to use a child's imagination as an excuse to enable the sexual indoctrination. What's child abuse is pushing your adult conversations on these kids. They're innocent. Leave them alone. Leave well, them alone and let them be children. Yeah, and you know the the ex- the example of this, or maybe the proof of this, rather, um, that this isn't about letting your child be who they want to be. You just gave great examples as to why you can't do that, but it's not what they want to be. It's what they're being encouraged to be. Uh, you and I think talked about the number. Uh, a survey revealed that four in ten of Gen Zers identify as some form in the LGBTQ spectrum. Um, and it's not because they're gay, but they're being encouraged to pick something else other than what they are in schools in order to be be popular and not be ostracized and cast aside. What are your pronouns? What is your identification? You've got to be something other than what you are, and kids are being essentially forced into this. So it's not a matter of don't say gay, and it's certainly not a matter of uh, of, of of you know being bigoted in any way, and it's certainly not a matter of let your child be what they want to be. It's when you encourage children to be something other than what they are you are abusing them and that is something that just cannot be accepted in any in any civilized community you know a friend of mine said that the this bill should be titled the anti-sexual indoctrination bill because really that's true we're saying stop indoctrinating young children in this sexual nihilism they don't care they don't want to talk about it you do you leftists are the ones who want to talk about this a five-year-old doesn't Stop indoctrinating them. And then they'll turn around and say, oh, well, this isn't our problem that 4% or 10% or whatever the, 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 the number is today, this rising tide of LGBTQ identity claims in our culture of, of, of young people wanting to have functioning body parts, healthy organs amputated from their body because that's who they are. It's not our problem, they say, the left makes this claim. That's just the reality of who they were all along. Well, that is crazy, too, because what they're saying is that their ideas make no difference, and that the educational process of our progeny, the next generation of leaders, that the education that's coming out of our public schools has no bearing whatsoever on what these people actually believe and do. Of course, of course ideas have consequences. Of course this goes back to our schools. Of course ideas are going to bear fruit over time. And the reason we've got Harvey Weinstein's and Matt Lauer's out there is the only reason we have them is because you people taught them to behave that way when they were in school. Of course your ideas are going to bear fruit for good or for evil, and your ideas right now are lending themselves to the debauchery of a child's very soul and the loss of his innocence. Very well said, Dr. Piper. Last thing on this before we take our time out here, and I know we're a little long, but... um it's right in the same uh, in the same vein here. USA Today, not that I care, but it's just what it says about the culture. USA Today 
uh, came out with their list at the beginning of this week of the women of the year. Now, why they wait until March, I don't know, to talk about the women of last year. It's bizarre to me, but okay. They named their women of the year, and it's a whole host of people for a whole host of different reasons. But one of the women of the year was Dr. Richard Levine who is now a four-star admiral and goes by the name Rachel and wears a wig and lipstick and has been appointed uh, by the Biden administration. So Dr. Richard Levine, uh, who believes he is Rachel Levine, is a biological male, there's no disputing that, who has been named one of the women of the year. And people wonder how and why it is that our children are confused, how and why it is that we can't um, embrace science any longer, and how these kids' psych- psychological makeups are being impacted by uh, by the world around them. This is what's happening in positions of leadership. This is what's happening uh, in, 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 uh, in the media. A male is, is one of the women of the year, Dr. Piper. Well, and I've used this analogy on your show before, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to you by saying this again. What you see is no less than the black facing of women. If, if, if an Anglo dresses up in exaggerated costume, wearing a wig, and exaggerated and extreme makeup to make himself look black rather than white, what do we call that? We call it black facing. We call it cultural appropriation. We call it wrong that white people should not blackface African Americans because it just is disrespectful, it's rude, it's wrong. How is that any different than a man wearing a wig, exaggerated makeup, costume, and blackfacing, quote-unquote, it's the same exact, exact thing, and the leftists, who are true feminists, should be outraged because you can't be a feminist if you deny the reality, the ontological fact of the female, like Richard Levine is doing. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. We'll be back with him right after this. Okay, 1026. A little short on time uh, with Dr. Piper today because we uh, we went a little longer on the open there, too, talking about our various states of of uh, uh, Republicans acting like Democrats. Uh, but, Dr. Piper, briefly, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, about uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and findings from early COVID-19 vaccine studies. Um, we're starting to get into uh, the post-COVID world right now, and it's time to look back uh, at, uh, at what was done to us and what was forced upon us, and in, in many cases against our will, um, we were we were told we weren't allowed to weigh risk. Excuse me, we weren't allowed to weigh risk versus reward. Just do what you're told. This is safe and effective, and that's the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story as we understand it, is it? No. And how many times did you say, and I've said it on your show, uh, echoing you, that by definition you cannot prove that the COVID vaccines are safe. Because in order to test something for its longitudinal safety and efficacy, it has to be around longitudinally. And by definition, these vaccines have not been around long enough for us to know what their long-term side effects might or might not be. We just don't know. It's impossible by definition to know. We said that. We said they may be safe, but we don't know. Because we've violated every procedure and every protocol of testing medicines like we've done with the FDA before. We've violated all of that. We've rushed this through, and we're forcing everybody to inject something into their body that may or may not be effective, number one, 
and may or may not have negative consequences. Number two, well, now we're seeing evidence that one of the things we were told over and over again that, oh, these vaccines cannot affect your genetic makeup. They cannot uh, they cannot enter your genetic DNA and change it. Well, we're finding out that that may not be true. There's evidence of that uh, residual, that residual um, DNA evidence is there 60 days after the vaccination. We were told that it would be purged from the body within hours. What happened? Now, we don't know. And none of us should be forced to take a medicine into our bodies where it has not been tested long enough for us to know if it could hurt us. And we're finding out that, indeed, some of the things we were told are probably not true. You know, it, it, we, we tend to, I think, over um, put, put an overt amount of trust in our doctors because they carry the title doctor uh, or they carry the title of, you know, a, a, a CDC director. And clearly, they must know what they're talking about. And, and so we trust whatever that needle that's going into our arm is if they tell us to. Um, I, I think if we were to think of it this way, I wonder if it would be a little bit different. What if it wasn't being injected into your arm, but you were eating it? And you were given a bowl full of vaccine. This is what we're telling you. This food we're asking you to eat right now is going to be really, really good for you. Just trust us. There's no side effects that we know. Would you spoon that into your mouth willingly? Or would you say, what's in it? Um, can you tell me? Can you tell me what it's made of? Uh, can you tell me what uh, what's going to happen later? M- most people would not do it, but if you do it quick and easy with a little prick in the arm, and it's after all, you're a doctor. You're wearing a white lab coat. Clearly, you can be trusted. We're being told to uh, to accept things into our bodies that we don't understand, and that they can't tell us with a, without a shred of a doubt. Um, what the long-term effects are going to be. They can say, we think, but we don't know. Eat this anyway. How many of us would eat it, Dr. Piper? And how many of us would be forced to eat this something, whatever it may be, in order to keep our jobs? Or else you're fired and you can't provide for your family any longer. That's, I mean, this this is going to go down in history as a time of, of extraordinary importance here as to when we, we sacrificed our rights to eat or take into our bodies what we will. Uh, you're, you're right. I know I need to be br- brief, but you're spot on. If there were a new preservative that was just invented yesterday, and let's say it's called thalidomide, and you're told to eat that preservative as part of every food bro- product that you consume, and you say, well, how long has this been tested, and is there any evidence out there as to what could happen over time? Well, it's only been on the market for the last few months. Don't worry about it. We know it's safe. I hope everybody listening right now would say, what? We know that that is not the way we test new preservatives and evaluate their safety. If it hasn't been around long enough, you don't know if it's safe. That is exactly right, and I appreciate your brevity there, um, but that is exactly right. And then, the, and then the worst part about this, to me anyway, Dr. Piper, is now here comes the CEO of Pfizer saying, I'm asking the, uh, uh, the FDA to give emergency, uh, uh, emergency authorization to shot number four, booster number two, shot number four, because of the waning effectiveness of the first three. Dr. Piper, if my dog had three rabies shots in a year and then got rabies, I've got a big problem with my vet, and I've got a big problem with the makers of these uh, rabies vaccinations, and I'm not going to jam them with another fourth dose of it if the first three didn't work. Why should our pe- why should our children, why should we as people be any different? They shouldn't. They should. Great questions, and science is the process of asking questions. You're not pro-science if you silence people 
who are simply raising their hand and saying, can you answer this question? That's not science. That's science denial. Well said. Dr. Piper, thank you very much. Appreciate you working through the tech glitch at the beginning. Great stuff. We'll talk to you again soon. Blessings. Take care. That's Dr. Everett Piper at 1032. We'll come back after the news. AM 1420, The Answer. left tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer all right 10 38 we've got a gap my friends to take phone calls you got to make the phone calls um let's dial it up at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110 with questions and comments on what you heard from tom z what you heard from dr piper or anything else that's uh that's on the table um, coming up at ten, or excuse me, eleven ten at the top of the next hour, Jim Renacci is going to join us. Former congressman, obviously now current gubernatorial candidate. I want to try something new with Jim Renacci. In addition to the questions I intend to ask him, I want to ask him yours, but I want you to do the asking. And this is incorporating the new website. Um, I don't have time to take calls for him because those can get dragged out uh, an awful lot, and we don't get a lot of opportunities there. So I want you to record your question for Jim Renacci right now on the website. Use your phone or use your computer. They all have microphones. But go to alwayswrite.us, click the red uh, sound off button. It's on the right side of the page. And if you're on a mobile phone, you probably just have to scroll down really far all the way to the bottom because it goes through all of the news stories, too. But when you get to sound off, tap it, and then you're going to be prompted to put in your name and your email address, and then you're going to be prompted to record your question. It'll just say record your question or comment or record your voice. And when you're done, just click stop recording and send it to me, and I'll play it during the Jim Renacci interview, and he can answer your questions directly. All right, so we're going to experiment with that, and we'll see if you can do it. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but uh, I want to try something new for the interview with Jim Renacci. So in the next 20 minutes or so, I guess 30, because he's coming on at 1110, go ahead and uh, go ahead and uh, not dial, uh, but click on the alwayswrite.us page. Bookmark it, save it, and then uh, sound off on it for our interview with Jim Renacci. Now, having said that, I want to come back to something Dr. Piper and I were just talking about, and that is the Pfizer drug cartel that continues uh, primarily um, to addict people through their own hypochondria to their drugs. I believe, and I mean this wholeheartedly, I believe that Pfizer is more deadly than the Sinaloa drug cartel, which is one of the most ruthless and vicious and largest product-moving drug cartels down on the Mexican border, the U.S.-Mexican border. I think Pfizer is deadlier. They're similar because both of them addict people to their products. The only difference being the Sinaloa cartel has to do it on the down low, and Pfizer can create addiction on television. By pushing these fake vaccines on people with the belief that if you don't have these fake vaccines in your body, you're going to die. Case in point, there are millions of Americans who have already gotten jabs one and two and then went ahead because they didn't work and they bought into the the Pfizer and CDC uh, narrative that well, they, they did work. It's just that they, they faded a little. All you need is a little boost. Give it another jump start. Then you'll be good. Then you'll be vaccinated. Well, what does it mean to be vaccinated? 
It's supposed to mean inoculated. It's supposed to mean can't get that virus anymore because you are now immune to it. It's supposed to provide immunity. That's what they said. If shots one and two didn't work, and they didn't, that's why you still have to wear a mask even after getting shots one and two. Well, then get number three. That'll boost it up, and that will make you inoculated or immune from contracting this virus. Well, here we are a few months later, and the Pfizer CEO saying, yeah, um, uh, we need a fourth jab, a second boost because of waning immunity from the first three. Well, you know, look, I, I know I don't know everything, but I know a lot of things, and I don't know every word, but I know a lot of words. And to me, waning immunity is just another code word for, or two code words for, didn't work. Waning immunity. Waning means fading away. And of course, immunity, it was never providing immunity. They admitted that. They said the shots weren't going to make you immune anyway. They were going to lessen the symptoms and lessen the chance of you being hospitalized or dying. So waning immunity means we're admitting that they didn't work. Shot one didn't work. Shot two didn't work. Shot three, which was the boost, was going to put it over the top. That didn't work either. Get in line for shot four. And the sad truth is there are going to be millions of Americans who get in line for for jab four. And you know what Pfizer isn't telling us? They're not telling us. These 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 cartels, these these drug pushers, they're not telling us. If shot number four is any different than shot number three, is there a different concoction, a different mixture? What makes four different than three, or is it just more of the same? Is it just another dose of whatever the brew was in shot three? And by the way, was shot three any different than shots one and two, or was it just a little bit more to boost you up? Because if you continue to jab the same drugs into me that didn't work the first time and tell me, no, I swear Z, swear Z real Z, this time it's going to work. Uh, we're going to have, we're going to have a, a crisis of credibility on our hands. Not sure I'm going to be buying and believing in that. Why are you really pushing a fourth shot if it's no different than the third shot? Could it be because, well, I don't know, maybe Pfizer's profits dropped from $15 billion last quarter to $12 billion and they need more money? Maybe it's not waning immunity that they're worried about. Maybe it's waning revenue. Maybe it's waning profits. And how many people are going to buy that nonsense? Are you not done being lied to? What else is Pfizer, the drug cartel, maybe the most dangerous drug cartel in the world, allowed to push their drugs and addict you through your own hypochondria and fear to what they're selling, just as assuredly as any um, fentanyl, heroin, uh, cocaine, or any other drug cartel can possibly try to addict people coming across our southern border or within our boundaries. What else did Pfizer do? At the beginning of this month, they revealed, because they were forced to by the FDA, that there are at least 1,291 side effects. Some of them very mild, some of them much, much, much more severe, to the Pfizer uh, profit jabs. 
Over 55,000 pages of documents were released. The FDA was forced by a judge to release this data. Now, they had originally wanted to hide all of the data. You remember this? For how long? Who remembers? They wanted to hide the data and not allow it to be released for 75 years. They were going to release it in 2096. Why? Because nobody that's alive now will be alive then to sue them for what they find out. They're treating it like it's the, you know, the, the, the revelation of the, the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, we'll open up those uh, files there for you at about uh, 2150. How's that sound? The FDA wanted to hide the data on these fake vaccines that were nothing more than profit shots for 75 years. That's a criminal conspiracy. There's no other way to look at it. The COVID vaccines, if you want to, again, use that very, very incorrect word, the COVID profit jabs, should never have been approved under an emergency authorization, much less on full authorization, as they tried to claim that they were, the Pfizer version of it, um, uh, with uh, the, the product that they put out that they never actually distributed. But at any rate, hiding out in one, of the, uh, one appendix in the clinical data for Pfizer's vaccine which lists 1,291 adverse side effects in alphabetical order. Now, these are, again, this is a list of bad things that can happen. Some of them are as simple as a sore arm. That's a bad side effect, okay. But that kind of happens with shots for a lot of people, for a lot of different things. Probably not the worst you have to to think about. But 1,290 others can be much more severe. And as I just glance at this list that was actually released by a judge forcing the FDA to release this. I don't know all of these medical terms, but some of the words sound really, really bad. Some of them sound really bad, including acute cutaneous lupus, including disseminated encephalomyelitis, including acute hemorrhage, oedema of infancy, I see motor sensory axonal neuropathy. I see myocardial infarcation. Again, I don't know all of these, but I know what they, generally speaking, have to do with, and I know that these terms are not mild terms. I know that these words don't reference mild conditions. There are a ton of them, and they didn't tell you about them while they were mandating that you take those jabs. The government had to have known because the CDC knew. That's why they didn't want to disseminate this for 75 years. The government knew. So what does that say about your government? If they know that there is a list of over 1,200 possible side effects, autoinflammatory disease, automatism epileptic, autonomous nervous system imbalance, Autoinflammation with infantile entero- enterocolitis. I don't know what that sound, I don't know what all that means, but it sounds really bad, and it sounds like that was for infants. Axonal neuropathy, axonal and demyelinating polyneuropathy. I know what neuropathy is. They knew all of those things. What does it say about your government when they know these are possible side effects? And rather than saying, see your doctor, see if you're a candidate, 
or a likely candidate to have some of these side effects if you take these shots and decide if it's right for you with your physician. They said, get these shots or get fired. Get these shots or 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 quarantine yourself in your home and get away from decent society, you great unwashed piece of filth, you. I... I What more do you need to know? The U.S. government's own database that I talked about, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, that's VAERS, has over 1 million reports of adverse events to these profit jabs, with 24,000 of them listed as death. Pfizer was aware of more than 158,000 adverse events when they asked for approval from the FDA and got it. People had serious issues after taking the Pfizer vaccine in particular, and Pfizer knew it before it sought approval for its profit shots. And then the government mandated it as soon as they got that full approval. That's when they did it through OSHA, trying to tell people 100 million workers, if they work for a company, you don't have it, you're fired. And they are still mandating it for military and still mandating it for anybody who works for the government or works for a government contractor. And that could mean anybody. You might work in a factory that makes food, and if some of that food is sold to the government, well, then you are a government contractor. Take the jab or get fired, despite their knowledge of all of these potential side effects. If a government is mandating that you do anything that even has a remote chance that you could get sick or sicker or worse, and they still mandate it, then that government is guilty of not just criminal negligence, but in my view, of criminal assault. Assault on your body. Through negligence, perhaps, because they didn't know which of those side effects was going to hit which people, so we can't say they intended to give you blood clots, and they intended to give somebody else paralysis and somebody else uh, palsy, but they knew it was possible for everybody. Which of those 1,291 side effects did Pfizer list? When they ran commercials telling you to get the jabs? Which ones? I'll give you a hint. None of them. What side effects did they list? Well, side effect number one is safe. Side effect number two is effective. That's all they told you. Safe and effective. Take the jabs. Make us rich. And what happens to you on the back end? Well... We'll never know until the year 2096 because we're sealing all of the records for 75 years. Ladies and gentlemen, I like to say we live in a free country. That's not free. That is not free. I'll be right back. You need something different. This is always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1056. By the way, um, quick reminder. Actually, a couple uh, a couple of stories I want you to look at on uh, alwaysright.us, which, again, should be and could be your go-to, your new uh, home base for conservative news, because I update this Many, many, many times a day with the latest news stories. 
uh, and you need to check them out because they're from some of the top uh, conservative news sites on the on the web. Uh, from OAN to Newsmax to uh, Town Hall to uh, Hot Air to The Federalist to LifeZet to Breitbart and all the way down the line. I, I, I compile all of the best and top stories and put them for you. One of them is from the Washington Times. I just threw this one up there in, uh, in about a half an hour ago. Uh, take a look at it for yourself, alwayswrite.us. It's the article written by Dr. Everett Piper about the quote-unquote don't-say-gay bill in Florida that has been mischaracterized by the left. So that one is up there now. Uh, and let me just qu- make a quick click and give you the other top stories. There's six top stories. Uh, Russia intends to go further than U- Ukraine. They are now threatening to invade other non-NATO countries uh, along their border. Three reasons why President Trump shouldn't run for president. That was a piece in the American Thinker that I think is going to draw a lot of uh, attention. Uh, we have the Jim, uh, excuse me, the uh, Jack Windsor story in the Ohio Press Network on Jim Renacci and his vote uh, that has been questioned by Joe Blystone. We'll talk to you, Jim Renacci, in a few. Uh, Trump hints that Pence won't be his running mate next time, so there's another indication that he does plan to run. That's a hot air story. And this is the other one I wanted to hit. Ten biggest COVID mistakes that Americans deserve an apology from the medical experts for. And that is a really interesting one. Uh, and t- again, those are all at alwayswrite.us. Please bookmark that, uh, that site. I read this a couple of days ago and posted it, and it's, I wanted to keep it up there so it got a lot more attention. Do you remember some of these things? Some of the biggest mistakes of the two plus years that we were, we had our lives turned upside down and sometimes, and in some cases, destroyed over? Here are those top 10 mistakes, uh, that we deserve an apology for from the quote unquote experts. Number one, surface transmission. Do you remember that? At the beginning of all of this, people were slathering on uh, um, a hand sanitizer on everything they could find, not only their own hands, but on, on surfaces. We were told to take our groceries home from the grocery store and wash them all, including the boxes, because the, the vid could live on the surfaces of those things. You get an Amazon delivery on your front porch, uh, let it sit there for 24 hours to try to get that vid off of the box before you bring it in the house. Remember that crap? No hospital visitation is number two. The barbaric policy of banning people from holding the hands of their dying loved ones, making them die alone. I can't even begin to express the anger and the outrage over that. Closing schools. How many children's lives have been disrupted to this moment? Because they weren't allowed, weren't allowed to go to school, and when they were, they were forced to wear masks. Socialization and the formative, formative times of their lives and their brains, all uh, taken away from them. Horrific. An apology won't do. Ignoring natural immunity might be the worst. If you got it, you should have been told you're good, you're clear. No more restrictions, no more quarantining, no more masking. You got it, you have natural immunity. That's how God works. But no, they made. They told us, oh, that doesn't count. You have to have the jab. Downplaying therapeutics. No, you can't have hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. That stuff doesn't work. Take our remdesivir. It's uh, about $1,300 a dose, and it enriches our pharmaceutical friends. Not spacing out vaccine doses, cloth masks, and promising no vaccine mandates, and then breaking that promise and making vaccines mandatory. Then there was also downplaying a lab leak from Wuhan and boosters for young people. All of those were lies, or at least huge mistakes made by the experts we were told to trust when we were told to trust the science. When's that apology coming, and how much good would it do anyway? All right, time out here for the top of the hour news. 
Conversation with Jim Renacci is coming up next. You're not going to want to miss it. And again, you can participate in it. We won't take calls during it, but if you leave me a message for Jim Renacci with a question at alwayswrite.us via the sound off button that you'll see on the side of the board on the right side, I will play the question for him and let him respond to it. So if you want to be a part of this interview, leave that message now at alwayswrite.us. And we'll be back. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three now underway on this uh, Thursday, the 17th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2022. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Hopefully you're celebrating it in a fun way. Make it a safe way. If you're doing the green beer swim, it's all good. That's what Uber's for. That's what taxis are for. Does anybody still do taxis or is it all Uber and Lyft now? I don't know. But get yourself a ride if you're doing that sort of thing today or tonight. Uh, enjoy the corned beef. Enjoy the fun. But do it safely, and I hope everybody does have a, a wonderful day. Um, on my webpage, alwayswrite.us, which I'm going to continue to promote uh, forever, because uh, I'm very, very proud of the site, and I want you to make it a go-to for conservative news and views. On the news side, right below the exclusive interview I had with Casper, the Ukrainian soldier from uh, uh, literally from the ground in the, in the middle of the battlefront, <coughs> excuse me, in Ukraine yesterday, uh, right below that exclusive interview, you see today's top stories. One of the six top stories that we have listed there is the editorial in the Ohio Press Network. Was Renacy's vote for anti-discrimination in the employment of LGBT, uh, no Q there, just LGBT individuals, a vote for transgender bathrooms? Blystone says yes, but the congressional record says otherwise. Um. The somewhat short story put together by Jack Windsor at the Ohio Press Network reads this way. Blystone has recently made several claims about Renacy's voting record on LGBT and transgender rights while Renacy served in the U.S. House, hold including that Renacy voted for a transgender bathroom bill and voted for the Maloney Amendment that would have withheld energy and water funds from any state that disallowed transgender bathroom choice. Renacy did not vote for a transgender bathroom bill because no such bill came before Congress, that specifically dealt with transgender bathrooms. Named for Congressman Sean Maloney, who added it to an energy and water spending bill in 2016, the Maloney Amendment that Blystone references did not explicitly and specifically cover the transgender bathroom issue either. It takes some, this is a quote, all of this is a quote, it takes some constitutional law jujitsu 
to get to the conclusion that a vote for the amended Maloney Amendment, that's right, it's an amended amendment, is a vote for transgender bathrooms. So that's the somewhat short story from Jack Windsor, and joining us now to react to that is somebody who reacted to that when I asked him to a couple of weeks ago, and that is, of course, Congressman, uh, former Congressman and current gubernatorial candidate Jim Renacci. Congressman, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Happy St. Patrick's Day, and congratulations on your third uh, the additional hour. I wish sometimes you were on for four or five hours. I think <laughs> uh, conservative conservative radio is needed more as as we plow through this woke, uh, you know, this woke mentality that we have. Well, that is very much appreciated. I thank you for that. Um, it's the question that won't go away. Before we do this again, and. Uh, you know, as you know, I had Joe Blystone on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Then I had you on the next day, responding to what he said and what his people sent me with respect to their their interpretation of this question. Uh, before we get into that again, uh, can you explain something? I've been asking a lot of people this, including Jack Windsor yesterday. Does it seem to you like Joe Blystone is more interested in defeating you to finish second than defeating Mike DeWine to save this state? Because that's what it seems like. Well, you know, it's it's funny to say that because I've been saying that all along. His people say defeating me is a win. And in the end, I, I have no clue where he's coming up with this. I mean, the goal should be to remove Governor DeWine. And the reason I jumped in the race is because I knew he couldn't do it. And it's it's one of the reasons I jumped in. And I've never said anything negative about him, but we're going to start because here's a guy who has done nothing but since day one attacked me. Now, he did have a guy that used to be on his team that I'll never forget. He was his communications guy, who now is one of the people who has filed the case against him for election uh, uh, finance problems. But, but that individual one time called me. I called him and said, why are you attacking me? And his answer was, well, our campaign believes that you're going to win this, so we have to beat you. And I go, that is the most ridiculous statement I could ever hear from a campaign, but it also shows that your campaign has no clue on how to run a campaign. I mean, the goal should always be to defeat the incumbent. But that's the message they've had from day one. I've had people send me emails where, they sh- where, where he had these, these messages where he would say, attack Renacy, attack Renacy, attack Renacy. And it's one of the reasons early on when I got in this race, it was strange because no matter what I would say, it would seem like I would get 100 people coming after me on, on my social media. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? But, yeah, that was his campaign. His campaign is built to defeat Jim Renacy. It's not built to defeat uh, Mike DeWine. And, that's, and that is a serious problem. Yeah, and, and it, it, it just it defies common sense in my view because he has made several statements has mr blystone that he really wants mike dewine out of office and i share that view i said to him you share that view on that you guys agree mike dewine has got to go and yet rather than campaigning on a daily basis and condemning and criticizing mike dewine for his actions as governor he would rather criticize you for a vote as a congress member from six years ago um as, as if this is the determining and deciding factor for the fate of ohio and I just don't understand why. So I, I just wanted to get you on the record as to what you think about his reasons for attacking you on this. Now we'll get into the nuts and bolts as much as you wish. Obviously, Jack Windsor wrote a very, very lengthy 
deep dive into all of the language of the bill, the amendment, the amendment to the amendment, including the uh, 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 amendments involving the First Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and Article One of the Constitution that changed everything. I mean, Congressman, you talked to me about all of this a few weeks ago, or a couple of weeks ago anyway, and now Jack has written about it. What is your response? Does this finally put it to bed, in your opinion? Well, it should put it to bed, but the, the problem with uh, Joe Blystone is he, he's running on a can- he's running on a really a false campaign. Let's face it; he came out day one against Germanese, and here is his four things: Germanese is a rhino, uh, Germanese is a millionaire, Germanese voted for transgender bathrooms, and Germanese voted for gun control. So that's all he's ever said. Well, voted for gun control got knocked right out of the gate because he was actually talking a bill that I voted against. So once once he learned of that, he couldn't use it anymore. So he quit talking about it. But the transgender bathroom issue, he keep he kept talking about, and it finally came to a conclusion that he was lying. And then, of course, we were on your show, and he came to a conclu- and most people came to a conclusion he was lying. And uh, and and now Jack Windsor has pretty well put it out there that he has lied. And and even after all of this. You know, he comes out and says, well, and I, and, and I saw a post that he basically says, well, Jim Renese voted against all uh, again, different than all other Republicans in Ohio for that vote. And my response is, I don't care. I know what I was voting for. I was in the trenches at that time trying to protect, trying to protect religious freedoms. And let's face it, a lot of people in Washington are wishy-washy. They don't want to get into certain fights. We were in a fight there. We were protecting religious freedoms. And if that bill, if that amended Maloney amendment would have passed, it would have protected religious freedoms. And today, quite frankly, we still have an executive order that does not protect religious freedoms. We have a religious, we have an executive order that Maloney was trying to codify that uh, protects classes of people from hiring and firing discrimination Donald Trump did not pull it down. It stayed in place all during the Donald Trump years. It stays in place today. And the problem is religious freedoms are not protected. And that was our goal. And sometimes people don't want to get into a fight, but I did. And I wanted to get into a fight to protect religious freedom. So I'm proud of that, what we tried to get accomplished there. Um, it was a clearly a bridge too far, as even Jack Windsor stated, to say that I was voting for transgender bathrooms when there were actually two other amendments in the bill that killed off transgender bathroom funding. So that's how far it was. But again, this is this campaign of his is based on lies. I don't know where he goes from now. Yes, I am a millionaire, but I started off probably so much he. poorer than him. So is he, by yeah, the way. So is he. <laughs> so is he. I mean, most people don't realize his farm, if you go back to the transfer of his farm from his deceased wife, it was a three and a half million dollar transfer, and that was back 15 years ago. So let's assume Land's got more. He's he's a multimillionaire. Where? Well, and then his other thing is he calls me a rhino. Well, guess what? You're a rhino now. Jordan's a rhino. Davidson's a rhino. Vitaly's a rhino. Gross. Jennifer Gross is a rhino. And what's even worse uh, is that last night he was at an event. Where I got phone calls that he actually said that conservatives should not be elected anymore. I mean. What is this guy's message? So in, in Erie County last night at Sandusky, in front of a 
25 people. He said that he's sick and tired, that conservatives now should not be elected anymore because they're not strong enough. It seems like the only person in the entire world that believes he can fix it is himself, and he's the only one that believes that because he has now thrown Jordan, Davidson, Vitality, Gross, you. I'm surprised he, he, he hasn't got Windsor yet, but I'm sure Jack will be a rhino here real soon as well. There's no doubt about it. Um, we're talking to Jim Renacy, Congressman Jim Renacy, gubernatorial candidate Jim Renacy. Yeah, I'm more than a rhino. I'm fake news, too. He wrote uh, on his uh, Facebook after our interview, uh, and then after I interviewed you, he wrote, I discredit Bob France as a true broadcaster with integrity. After sending him J.R.'s congressional vote on the Maloney Amendment, he still refused to hold J.R. accountable for his woke leftist ideology. He's not even called you a rhino anymore. You're a woke leftist. I knew Bob was good buds with JR, but not to the level of dishonesty. The people are done with lying fake media like Bob France. So I'm curious. So, so I'm fake media. I'm, uh, you're a woke leftist and we shouldn't try to elect conservatives. I wonder what's left. I mean, seriously, what, what is left? And if all of these conservative individuals who are, you know, either prominent in my case or leaders in your case, I'm not a leader, I'm not elected to anything, but if all of these conservative minds in Ohio are all kind of going in the same direction, what direction is he going since he seems to be on the outs with all of us? Well, look, one of the things I've said, Bob, is that everybody has a record, and he has a record, too, and, and, and so does Mike DeWine. And we should be looking at everybody's record. Mike DeWine has a horrible record. It's a record of, you know, uh, taking... Uh, constitutional rights away from us, uh, increasing government, he's uh, increased taxes, all of those things. But so does Joe Blystone. I mean, Joe Blystone, if, if the Blystone supporters really look at his record, he didn't pay overtime to employees at his business, and he's now under investigation. He's under investigation for repackaging meat, which is um, an issue that is, is pretty interesting. He filed personal bankruptcy. He hates the government, yet he took... His wife was on Medicaid, and he takes farm subsidies, and he took PPP money. So you hate the government, but you take from them. Um, he, he used Dr. Frank as a prop to raise money. He didn't report donations over $25. That's a, of record. He didn't uh, report donations, uh, didn't keep records of donations under $25. Those are things you need to do to run for governor, but he didn't do it. He's being investigated by the FBI. He's used some crazy pop-up kits to hide donations, which is going to be under investigation. He says he's a man of faith, but he, but he admitted the other night on the radio that he doesn't go to church and he doesn't have a church family. He's lied about transgender bathrooms, which we know now. He's not, voting, he's not voted in multiple elections over the last 10 years. He never supported Trump. The one interesting thing is, um, you know, Brad Parscale's on my team, and Brad Parscale went back, and not one... Uh, support, not one. He, he bought a shirt, I think, for $25, but he never showed up a rally, never did anything for Trump, never donated, never volunteered, yet he's a Trump guy. And what's really frustrating, and, and I tell people this, you, when you say you're pro-life, you normally have a record. Uh, before I ever got to Congress, I had a record of supporting my church, supporting you know, life chains, supporting pregnancy centers. I had a record. I was a pro-life person long before I ran for office. And by the way, I was a pro-Second Amendment person as well long before I ever. I was a life member of the NRA. I, sh I had multiple guns. I was those things before I ran for office. And what I tell people is you, you need to evaluate all the candidates. Mike DeWine, he is not pro-life. You cannot be a pro-life candidate 
and hire a medical director who's pro-abortion and then not fight to close abortion facilities. He's lost that card. You know, he's not pro-gun. You can't say that you're going to not sign constitutional carry and that you're going to push for red flag laws just two years ago and then sign constitutional carry and say I'm pro-gun, just like Joe Blystone. What's his record? Jim Renacci has a strong record, and I'll stand for that record um, uh, at any point in time. You just, yeah, you ran through some of his record. Obviously not in elected office, he hasn't been, but a lot of important things that do need to be known by voters. I want to take a time out here, uh, Mr. Renacci, because there are questions that some of our listeners have for you. I asked them to submit them via my website, and they have done so. So I want to let you hear those and respond to a couple of those. These are voters who are going to make up their minds based on some of the things they're hearing right now. So if you could hold with me for a moment, we'll come right back and continue with Jim Renacci, always right on AM 1420, The Answer. Eleven twenty-five now, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Continuing our conversation with Jim Renacci, gubernatorial candidate. I've been asking people to ask your questions of Jim Renacci via my website, alwayswrite.us. Click the sound off button and record your question for Mr. Renacci. That's the way this works. And uh, Jim, if you're ready, let's go ahead and uh, and listen to this one. Hey Jim, if you're elected governor, will you finally do something about changing how public schools are funded? Uh, it's been unconstitutional for some time now, and all I hear every year, not twice or three times a year, is, Oh, God, the schools are broke. Please send more money. Our children are our future. It, I'm tired of it. It's, it's the Parma. To live in Parma, it's over now about $300 a month. I'm sick of it. Congressman Renacci, what about funding of schools? Well, uh, to answer that question, look, schools will be a, one of our top priorities. Not only do Not only do we want to remove... Um, some of the woke education like CRT, social-emotional learning, and um, uh, sex education, comprehensive sex education. Those three things have to be removed. We have to get back to um, the education, reading, writing, arithmetic, and history. At the same time, our plan, and I've said this publicly, our plan is to support a backpack-type program that allows people to choose. And I've also said that we're going to and I don't have all the answers, and I said we are going to come together and come up with a constitutional funding mechanism for our school system. Now, I will tell you, I, sent that, I said that in front of Matt Dolan at an event last week, and Matt came running up to me and said, you're wrong. We are funding constitutionally already. People say that all the time, and it's not true. And I said, well, Matt, if we are funding constitutionally, then there shouldn't be a problem if we look into it and make sure that we are funding constitutional. So I've already been on record that, yes, that will be one of our top priorities, education, and that is in the priority of making sure that we fund, we have a funding mechanism that's constitutional. That one was Daniel in Parma. This is Dan in Cuyahoga Falls. Hey, Bob, I was wondering when you talked to Jim Renacci, if you could ask him if he plans on joining the conventions of states if he's elected governor, so that we can rein in this crazy runaway federal government of ours. Um, thanks for asking him the question. All right. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Congressman, are you familiar? I'm sure you're familiar with any thoughts on the Convention of States. Well, um, uh, Dan, uh, to answer your question directly, one of the reasons I left Washington, because it is broken, one of the things I said is we need to have strong state governors. And one of the things I've also said is that we need to have a governor who believes 
in the Convention of States and changing the Constitution in two areas for sure. One is we have to have term limits, and two, we have to have a balanced budget. I, th- I think in the end what we need to do is make sure that there are at least 39 states that all agree that those two things at a minimum have to be done, and then we have to have a convention to get those two things done. If you want to fix Washington, those two things do it. Uh, There are other things that can be done, don't get me wrong, but if we can do term limits and we can require a balanced budget, it will stick Washington in a point where it has to work and it can't spend this money and have a runaway debt like it does right now. I'm up against the bottom of the hour. I can't play any more questions for you, so I'm going to ask you just to make a statement, if you could, to put this entire thing. I would like the rest of this primary campaign... And by the way, I didn't even ask you about the fact that we don't have a, a, a primary date now because last night Maureen O'Connor joined with the Democrats again and uh, rejected the district voting, uh, district lines rather. So I don't even know if we're going to have a primary on May 3rd. It doesn't look like it. Does that change your calculus at all about how you campaign from this point? Well, I came out this morning, Bob, and said this. Number one, uh, Republicans are to blame as well as Democrats. Republicans decided to take the power away from the elected officials and put it into a commission, which now is not working. I didn't agree with that in 2017, but that's what Republicans wanted. Now that we have it, it's failed. What we should do is move the primary all the way to August. I was not planning on doing that, but we should do it because we should not have two primaries. If this legislature determines we're going to have two primaries, that means it costs taxpayers between 20 and $30 million to do it. Shame on them. If they do that, when there's homeless veterans who could use that 20 or $30 million versus spending it on a primary, uh, two, two primaries in this election cycle. So I would believe that I hope someone of sense, which is what we need in Columbus, says we need to move the primary to August 3rd because we're going to have to go through a whole bunch of court gyrations to get this done. But let's use common sense and let's protect our taxpayers. We should not have two primaries. Let's do it right. And let's work toward a much later primary. Yes, well, it changes our it, it changes what we do, but you know, at least we we need certainty and predictability. I don't disagree with you, but I don't know if I can handle five months of more questions about your vote in 2016 on the Maloney Amendment. So, can you wrap can you wrap this interview? Just put it to bed. Your stance uh, then and now on transgender bathrooms and privacy for 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 girls in their own spaces. Yeah, well, I can tell you then and now I've always said the same things. I do not support transgender bathrooms. I didn't then. I don't now. I have a record that shows that I didn't back then. And I would also tell you that I do not believe that men should be competing in women's sports. I know I've got blame for that, too. But that issue wasn't even an issue in when I was in Congress. But let me say, I would, I would say, I would step up as a leader as a governor, and say, we sh- I don't care whether it's the NCAA like DeWine said or whatever. As a leader, you say men should not compete in women's sports, and we need that out. And I would ask and demand and request the legislature to support me on that as well. There are governors who are saying that in their states. Ours is just not one of them. So it would be nice to get somebody to do that. Uh, I always call you congressman because of habit, but right now we want to call you Mr. Renacy because your focus is on the gubernatorial race. Mr. Renacy, thank you for the time. God bless. I appreciate it. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. And I want to make this very known very publicly, by the way. Joe Blystone, doors open. 
You just heard from Jim Renacci again. I'll be happy to put you back on as well. Equal time rules apply here and everywhere. So, Joe, uh, Joe Blystone, you want to respond to any of that and respond to Jack Windsor's report and take some more questions, you have an open invitation. I'll be back after the news. This hour of Always Right with Bob France is brought to you by Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. of tyranny always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer yeah that's loyalty right there that's my pair of kings that's a great hand the only thing beats it is aces but i'll take my pair of kings and put them up against your hand any day floor king and mark king from keeping medicare simple uh i'm gonna go back to the phones now and i want to bring john onto the line this isn't just any john this is john stover our good friend from ohio value voters hey john good morning good morning bob what's on your mind today well, you know, I um, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on your uh, on your third hour. Thank you, know, you so uh, much. Seeing that you had, uh, seeing that you had uh, Representative, former uh, uh, Representative Jim Renacci on, you know, I just wanted to add a few comments. You know, it was not difficult for our organization, Ohio Value Voters, our six board members, when we uh, discussed an endorsement to endorse uh, Jim Renacci. You know, we uh, we had um, a questionnaire that went out to all those that are running, including Mike DeWine, who, by the way, did not return our questionnaire. And I can understand why, because there were some very difficult questions that he would have had to have answered, and he could not have answered them correctly. Um, you know, hopefully this transgender uh, bathroom nonsense is put to bed. Um, Jim Renacci is the only one that I uh, am aware of out of the uh, four candidates running for governor that basically came out and said, uh, first thing that I would request from the General Assembly is that they take House Bill 61, Save Women's Sports Act, which keeps transgender men from competing in women's sports. Send it to me. I want to sign it. You know, uh, Mike DeWine, Bob, had the opportunity back in June. The Senate was in the process of sending it to his office. Guess what? The Senate didn't send it because uh, he planned to veto it. Basically, uh, is not in support of it. You know, one of the things regarding Joe Blystone's uh, interview that you had with him on February 22nd, and I, and I picked this up whenever I listened uh, uh, real life time as to the questions being posed, but you asked him uh, some specific questions about the campaign finance. And one of the things that concerned me was at the 320 mark, and you go back and you pick this up, and, you know, if he, if he is inclined to come back on your show, which I, you know, I doubt that he will, but if he does, you know, one of the comments that he made at the 320 mark was that uh, was this, and this is a quote. He says, I'm a farmer. What the heck did I know about running a campaign? Well, yeah, that all sounds good, Bob, but, you know, if this man, unfortunately, if he was to become our governor, what's he going to do? Two months down the road, he's got a, uh, a major problem, and he says, well, I'm just a farmer. What the heck did I know about uh, serving as governor? Or better yet, uh, you know, if, if he can't handle a campaign finance report, how in the world is he going to be able to handle tens of billions of dollars that uh, his office is responsible for when it comes to presenting a budget to the General Assembly? You know, your friend of mine, Bob, uh, and, and uh, uh, close this uh, real quickly here, as I know you're uh, short on time, but, you know, Dave Yost issued a motion to dismiss a uh, political maneuver, a uh, legal maneuver that um, Joe Blystone and his attorney attempted to pull regarding the Elections Commission ruling. They had a preliminary hearing regarding his campaign finance report. 
Um, they voted to take it to a full hearing. It was a unanimous vote. And what does uh, Mr. Blystone do? He files in Common Pleas Court in Franklin County a motion to dismiss the complaint. And uh, right now it's tied up in courts. I've spoken to legal counsel with the Elections Commission, and basically what they've said, we're, do- we're doing nothing until we're uh, directed to by the courts. So, you know, justice um, denied in this case is certainly obvious uh, because it's not timely, and I'm sure that he's hopeful that this will be driven well past the primary. Well, it may be, even with a uh, new August uh, date for the primary. Yeah, well, you know what, that's a lot of great information, and I appreciate your explanation of uh, where the Ohio Value Voters Board is coming from and why they made the decision that they did. And these are good questions, and if I get Mr. Blystone back on, I will ask him, You know, because I thought the same thing. If your answer to 51 pages of allegations of campaign finance fraud uh, or violations anyway is, well, I'm a farmer, what do I know about running a campaign? I, I agree with you. My first question is, well, if I'm a farmer, I don't know anything about running a campaign. How do you know anything about running a state? Uh, and the answer would be, yeah, get some smart people around you. Well, what are what are the people around yes. you doing? Well, his running mate, his first one that he put around him, ran. <laughs> running mate ran away and left. Um, his campaign chair, Sarah Chambers, seeing all of this stuff, ran away as well. So if you don't know what you're doing, you get people who do know what they're doing around you, and that's something that, well, quite frankly, I don't know that he has necessarily done to this point. So I would love to ask him that question. And hopefully put the rest of this uh, stuff to bed. If we're going to hear more in this primary for five more months, I don't want to hear any more about trans bathrooms. I want to hear about Ohio policy and what's going on in this yes, broken state yes. under Mike DeWine. So, John, hey, Bob, Bob, one yeah. last thing. Bob, yeah. one last thing. Uh, uh, a good friend of yours and mine, Christine Hagen, you may have seen, she was just recently appointed to the Elections Commission. I saw uh, that. Next time you yeah. have her on. Ask her. Ask her uh, just uh, where this uh, complaint is relative to the uh, campaign finance. She'll, she'll be on tomorrow, Biden. John. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. She's my regular Friday guest at 10:35, so she will be on tomorrow, and we're going to talk about her appointment and yes, about uh, you know where things stand with respect to the upcoming primary election or the now delayed primary election. So, uh, great point, and I look forward to that conversation. John, thank you for the call. Thank you, Bob. John Stover, Ohio Value Voters, wanted to get in after he heard Jim Renacci, who is uh, OVV's Ohio Value Voters endorsed candidate for governor. Uh, and I really do. I really hope that Jack Windsor's great work on the Ohio Press Network on this story, along with the conversations I've had with Blystone and now Renacci, and maybe Blystone again, uh, I really hope that all of this is put to bed. And let's focus on what's best for Ohio. And what's best for Ohio, in my mind, is getting Mike DeWine out of it. Well, he can stay in the state if he wants, just not where he currently resides. Not in that governor's mansion or not in that office. Uh, thanks to everybody. Thanks to all of the guests. Tom Sawastowski. Thanks to Jim Renacy. Thanks to Everett Piper. Thanks to our crew. And thanks to you for listening and being a part of the show. Enjoy Have a great day. Enjoy St. Patrick's Day safely. And let's go, Brandon.